Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Again, it is the 23rd of February. It's Wednesday. Make it Wisdom Wednesday or Witness Wednesday or Winsome Witness Wednesday, right? Like, let's be the people in the culture today who walk our faith out into the world that God so loves, uh, making the gospel visible and beautiful and substantial that other people might be, like, actually drawn to God. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that make today a great day? If you're thinking to yourself, how can I make today a great day? Um, First of all, it's already a grace day. We're already living today under the reality, in the reality of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So that's just amazing. Like We just revel in that. That would make it a great day. Just reveling in the grace of God would make it a great day. You could also make it a great day by taking back one square inch of what the enemy thinks he has. You know, like maybe it's one conversation, maybe it's one encounter, one moment of the day. Take it back and claim it in Jesus' name. Cover it with grace, infuse it with love, walk into a space or a place that's dark and just be shiny. Just be shiny. Just illuminate the area. Let the fragrance of Christ be emitted from who you are as an ambassador of the king and the kingdom. Yeah, I mean, change the world. Change the world by changing, you know, the way one car, one office, one line, one moment smells and looks and feels. There you go. There you go. It's like that whole um, butterfly wing business. All right. which I don't know if it's true or not, so I'm not going to say, you know, it creates a wind around the world. It's a Holy Spirit thing. Let the Holy Spirit move through you in a way that changes the world today in one way, one space, one moment. All right. uh, Headlines related to the Ukraine are many. I'd encourage you to um, stay abreast of those headlines. And in the midst of all of it, pray. In the midst of all of it, pray. Because most people, the overwhelming majority of people, are going to get up and they're going to go about their day-to-day as if nothing has changed, as if uh, Russia is not in a full-scale invasion of its neighbor, Ukraine, Um, as if people aren't fleeing um, into neighboring communities, leaving behind, you know, their lives and their livelihoods. And why is that? Why, Why can we just move forward as if nothing is different? Well, because for us... Nothing really has changed. The sun rises, the rain or the snow falls, the babies cry, the bills come, the prayers arise. For lots and lots of people, um, the individual and the personal is not only their primary focus, it's their only focus. And so let me encourage us as the people of God to have a wider aperture, like right to, that's, you know, widening the scope of what we're looking at and the lens through which we're looking at it. We have a worldview 
that's not just personal and right here and right now and me and Jesus, look what's happening right with me in my head or body or family. But we recognize that every headline, um, every conversation, every inclination is an eternal one, like seen through an eternal lens. So let's, uh, let's be those people today. Perspective matters, prayer matters, people matter, eternity matters. Let's keep in mind today, even as we bring our attention to the matters of the day, that God sees these issues and headlines and people through an eternal lens, a redemptive lens, the lens of Jesus Christ. Let us do likewise. We're going to talk with our friend John Brandon about some of the headlines today. We're going to lead off with a conversation about truth social. It is um, Trump Media's new app designed to compete with Twitter, and we're going to find out how's Truth Social going. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. columnist. He's also the digital media director for Northwestern Media, and he is an author. You can find uh, his book and materials related to it at 7minutesolution.com. John, welcome back. Yeah, good to be with you again. Thanks. What is Truth Social, and what do we need (laughs) to know about it today? Well, you know, honestly, I could tell you a lot more about it if I could actually get into the app. And I've been trying, (laughs) you know, I write a column about social media for Forbes, and I've been doing that for quite some time now. Uh, I did write an article about it in the last uh, week or so, and I've been trying to test it. I've been trying to get in. Unfortunately, what happens is when you go to type in a password, um, it says it doesn't accept it and there's an error. And then I tried a different email and I got the same error. I've heard a lot of other people have had troubles getting into the app. Now, um, that's actually fairly common with a new app launch. It's not unheard of to have some bugs and then they figure out how to fix them and resolve them and everything's fine. I expect that to happen. This is a big launch. I think I read somewhere that there's been around 170,000 signups just since it went live a, a few days ago. So, What is it, though? Um, I have to say I like the name, so let's just start there, and I'm sure you do, too. You know, uh, if we can get people to think and talk more about truth, that's a great thing. Um, Now, I have some questions about, you know, whether that's going to happen. I don't know. I'd like to test the app and see what the opinions are. Um, from third parties and just, you know, everyday people reading articles just like all of us do, It sounds like um, so far there's been a lot of discussions about Trump and there's both sides of the argument going on, you know, pro and anti-Trump. And I and I totally expected that. And I wrote about that. So um, I'm curious what you think so far of Trump. So I'm sorry. (laughs) That was let me ask this. So I got on my um, Google Play, which is where I download my apps and I can't find it. Oh, really? Okay. So and is it even on? Like, can Android people even get it? Yeah, I, I actually don't know if, it, if it's okay, on it's Android. Not, it's not in the Google Play Store. I'm just yeah, telling you right now. I, it's so on, it's, I have an iPhone, and it's on there. Mm-hmm. I downloaded oh, there it. Go. Yeah. 
So well, there you go. So they don't want me, which is totally okay. <laughs> I'm I'm fine not being right. wanted. I don't like. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure that a quote unquote uh, media personality should never say this, but I don't really like social media. I don't I don't want to become a servant of a dev- of like being on there replying all the time. And engagement is like the you know, the magic of social media. Um, and I'm not going to be on there 24-7, quote unquote, engaging. And so I don't, I know, I'm just one of those people that doesn't particularly like it. So adding another platform to the current buffet of social media places that I feel like I already have to feed, um, you know, I, I got to tell you, I, 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 I like you. I like the name. Yeah. Um I want us to be people of truth. I want us to be people who speak truth and do so in love. Um, But right now, you know, I can't even get to it. So there you go. Yeah, and I I agree with you. I think social media is just one small part of technology. You know, sometimes it gets too many headlines. And like today, there's headlines about, uh, you know, True Social being this this great app or people saying it's awesome. And then other people say it's like going to divide us. And I would say that sometimes social media is like... 10% 10% of the value of other things, or maybe even 5%. And so then if we look at it that way, maybe we won't use it as much. Maybe we'll say, oh, oh, this is 5% of the value of other things. You know, my, my phone or my laptop or other technology are more like 25% or 50% of the value for my digital life. Then we can say, oh, I'm just going to dismiss it. It's not really that big a deal. We won't hyper-focus on it as so much. Okay, so um, we want to continue to ha- talk with you about these kinds of things. I, I do want to ask everybody who's listening right now, if you are on Truth Social, I would love to hear from you, but you're going to have to communicate with me on the text line. So you can text me at 877-933-2484 and tell me what your experience on Truth Social so far has been like. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. We're talking with John Brandon. Uh, He is a Forbes columnist as well as our digital media director here at Northwestern Media. And he and I will be right back. Tracy has texted in. She's never heard of Truth Social. So there you go. She does like cashew milk. Not a question I was asking, but it's always good to know. Thank you uh, so much for sharing with us this morning on the text line. If you're on Truth Social, John Brandon and I would like to hear from you because we want to know what people's experience um, has been. So if you're on Truth Social, text me at 877-933-2484 and just share a little bit about your experience there. We're talking with John Brandon. He's the author of The 7-Minute Solution, which you can find at 7minutesolution.com. He also writes for Forbes, and he keeps his eye on things digital. So talk with us about Google enhanced safe mode. Oh, yeah. I was wondering if we were going to talk about this today. So the the enhanced safe mode, it's a new feature for Google. When you use the Chrome browser, you can add a plugin. Um, One of the things about the internet these days is there are just millions and millions of sites that are trying to capture your information, trying to get you to download something, type in your email. If they can just get any information from you at all, they're happy because then they can start spamming and texting you. Um, Here's a word of warning to people when you're on the web. There are a lot of things happening, uh, you know, in cyber warfare. You talked about Ukraine just earlier. 
Um, there's a lot of stuff happening, and you do have to protect yourself. But here's something that's really ironic about big tech. So big tech companies like Google and Facebook, they make money when you look at ads. So the mo- the fact that we're even talking about this right now will help the revenue of Google when people go and search for this because then they'll see ads. And it's just a cycle that repeats over and over again every second of the day, honestly. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to get attention. They're trying to say, hey, the Internet is dangerous. You better protect yourself. Ironically, the other thing, I read about this in Wired, when you go and get and look at this app and maybe download this uh, plugin and start using it, you agree to give Google a little bit more information because then they can protect you. And honestly, that has an ominous ring to me when I hear that, when I hear this idea that you give us a little more information, we'll protect you. What, what does that make you think of? You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's a history of, of doing kind of propaganda warfare like that. I'm not saying Google is that evil. I'm just saying to protect yourself when you think about what you're doing on the Internet. The best way to protect yourself, actually, is not using these apps Uh, and relying on them 100%. It's really just thinking about why am I going to this website in the first place? If you can sort of self-govern like that and say, I don't really need to go to this uh, Bitcoin purveyor of something uh, on the internet, or I I don't need to go look at these certain images or whatever it is, that self-control on the internet is way better than any of these extra apps that you can download. Hmm. Okay. Um, personal, yeah, personal discipline, self-discipline. Mm-hmm. That's what you're right. talking about there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I write about it in my book. You know, web browsing is one of those things. It's just a, it takes up so much time. We can spend two hours browsing the web and not even know it. We're, we're maybe looking for a used car or, you know, to buy a new uh, kitten for the family or something like that, whatever it is. Uh, we just keep clicking, 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 um, but self-throttling and just saying, I'm only going to do something for a short period of time and then doing something else. That's the secret to true productivity when it comes to the web. Hmm. All right. So um, thank you to each and every one of you texting in information about uh, truth, your experience with Truth Social. Keep those coming. We're talking with John Brandon, and he and I are interested in what's happening uh, on the digital media front Bill and Jackie uh, say that uh, they created, they downloaded the app, were able to set up an account, but now they are on the wait list. It looks like they might be number 213,200 on the wait list. Um, And then uh, someone else who said they tried, um, they signed up. uh, It wouldn't let them verify their email with the link that was provided. They tried many times unsuccessfully. I told them they weren't alone, that that was your experience as well. Um, And then others saying, hey, I started using DuckDuckGo. What does John think about that? Oh, and just a comment about Truth Social again. So if you're on the wait list, that probably means that it won't take like 213,000 days, um, you know, because that's that's a really long time. Uh, But it probably just means that eventually they'll get to activating your account. Also, if you're getting an error, it could be because the wait list is full. So people like me that can't get on the wait list quite yet, we will be eventually. Um, I don't like that particular app that you mentioned, uh, DuckDuckGo. I think the reason why is because it has a name um, as being something that sort of gets you around things, you know, that you don't want to get caught doing something. And a lot of times when people use that app, you know, you can use it for any, any technology. You can use for good purposes or bad purposes. 
as a journalist, I've just heard of people saying, you know, I was using it for nefarious purposes and I, you know, I got caught or I didn't realize that my Internet provider actually can still find my information if they really dig for it. Um, again, there's no real protections. The only protection is self-governing where you go on the web and what you do online. Yeah, and for the person asking about Tor, um, pretty much uh, where the dark web lives. Right. So um, I would avoid that, the person asking about the Tor browser. All right, um, we got a couple of minutes, John, to talk about our distraction. Um, Talk with us about why we are so distracted. This is a piece you have posted at Forbes.com. Oh, and I, I just love that interview I did with Clay Scroggins. He's actually a former pastor from North Point and used to work with uh, Andy Stanley. So I interviewed him and just a really smart guy. I, I wrote that he's a bright thinker. He's he's just a really brilliant author and speaker. Um there's just something about uh, talking to these pretty famous people because they're famous for a reason. You know, they have smart ideas. And the one that he told me is that the reason why we're distracted is because distractions work. And they they help us to not have deep feelings. You know, here at Faith Radio, we're t- we always talk about let's get into the depth of the word. Let's get into the depth of what we're really feeling and thinking. Well, guess what? Social media is the opposite of that, and our phones are the opposite of that. Um, sometimes email is a, is the opposite of that. We do these things because distractions work, they're effective, and we need to fight that battle and try to fight against them. Why are we tempted to be so shallow? Like, right, that's, I think, I yeah. think that's the question. Well, I mean, they wouldn't, we wouldn't keep going to the shallow well unless there were something about going deep that scared us. Yeah, and, you know, one last comment about truth social. Uh, For anyone listening to this, there is only one truth. It's found in Jesus Christ. Um, I heard something just recently, real quick, uh, Carmen, my wife mentioned this, Alistair Begg had a sermon and a blog post about this, but he said, you know, there's a reason why uh, we say Jesus is the truth, you know, because everything he did had truth and meaning and purpose behind it. And when he called Lazarus out of the grave in the New Testament, he had to say the word Lazarus because if he didn't say that word, everybody would have risen from the grave. And I just think that's such an awesome concept to think about, that Jesus is the truth. If he said, rise up, and he didn't say Lazarus, maybe everybody in that grave would have risen up that day. And that's the Jesus I know. That's the truth I know. That's really what uh, truth is all about for me. Hmm. Um, that's so helpful. That's so helpful. Thank you, um, John, as always. That's John Brandon. You can find him and his book at 7minutesolution.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. I feel like one of the things I want to tell you about Sam Storms is that he asked his wife to marry him on their first date which has nothing to do with the conversation that he and I are going to have about his brand new book, A Dozen Things God Does With Your Sin and Three Things He'll Never Do. But it's a little factoid about Sam that I find particularly interesting. He also gave up playing golf his first year at the University of Oklahoma um, because apparently he was not only bad at golf, but um, also had a very bad temper. So see, these are the things that I feel like um, we want to ask people about when we talk with them. 
even though we are definitely going to talk with Sam about a dozen things God does with your sin. So just think about that for just a moment. You and I recognize God's moral purity, his moral sovereignty. We also recognize, like, our conscience is always telling us, right, that not only do we know that we are sinners, but we know that we sin. We know that we have sinned. We know that there is sin in our lives um, for which we are culpable before a holy God. Like, we know that. We get that. We also know that God in Jesus Christ has forgiven us. Like, as Christians— We have knelt at the foot of the cross, and we have accepted the free gift of God's grace poured out in the person of Jesus Christ. Like, we don't just get our moral responsibility before God. We get that we could never make ourselves righteous, and we accept that in Christ Jesus, we've been made righteous. His righteousness has been imputed, applied, given to us. Like, we know that in our heads, and yet, if you're like me— If you're like me, there's still this thing in the back of your head or mind or gnawing in your conscience that says, yeah, well, maybe not, maybe not completely, fully. Are you sure? God's got all that covered. Is it really as far as the east is from the west? Is it really as white as snow? Is it really cast beyond where it could ever be brought back? Is it really blotted out? Sam Storms is going to share with us from the Bible. Yes, 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 yes. A dozen things God does with your sin and three things he'll never do. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. is the kind of pastor, um, frankly, we all want. We want to sit under this kind of teaching and preaching and good counsel. Sam is the lead pastor for Preaching and Vision at Bridgeway Church in Oklahoma City, uh, and you can visit with him online at samstorms, that's plural, samstorms.org. Sam, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. It's good to be with you today. I've been looking forward to this. Well, thank you. So have we. So let's talk about your new book, A Dozen Things God Does With Your Sin and Three Things He'll Never Do. Um, Let's just start here. What, where does this book grow out of? I I often ask authors, like, you know, there are lots of books out there, but every book that's out there grows out of a heart space or a conversation or an observation over time with your people. So why this book? Yeah, that's a very good way to start because that's exactly what happened with me. Um, I've been in pastoral ministry for approximately 48 years, and um, I can't tell you the number of times it probably reach into the hundreds in which people who I know were born again, I know they trusted Christ for salvation, and yet they lived every day feeling defiled and dirty Uh, as if somehow their sin was greater than God's grace. Um, You know, there's a a phrase in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, where he talks about um, our conscience being purified. And so many times people would say, you know, I go to bed at night feeling dirty. I wake up feeling defiled. The lingering memory of my sin cripples me in my relationship with the Lord. It robs me of my joy. I can't experience any sense of peace or rest in my relationship with the Lord, because this, this image, this feeling, this, 
this reality of the way, many ways I failed him simply won't go away. And it just struck me that uh, the problem is that we are so focused on what we have done with our sin that we have failed to know what God has done with it. And mm-hmm. I think the answer, the only way we're ever going to come to the place where we can truly delight in the Lord and experience joy inexpressible and full of glory, like Peter talks about in 1 Peter 1, eight, is when we come to realize through the power of the Holy Spirit and the teaching of Scripture the many things that God has done with our sin. And so um, that just drove me. Uh, and in fact, I several years ago, I preached a single sermon on this subject. And then it was actually during COVID when I was shut in that I said, you know, I think this is deserving book-length book treatment. So I devoted um, a chapter to each one of these 12 things that the Bible says God does with our sin. And honestly, there probably could have been 15 or 20 but I took the mm-hmm. dozen most vivid images and metaphors in scripture and uh, really wanting to help people come to an understanding of why and how they can really enjoy their Christian experience and their relationship with the Lord. So, Sam, I'll um, make a couple of observations. Um, and these are observations that I have made in conversation with others over time. Um, I have one person in mind who. God has redeemed. She is living a vibrant, redeemed life. But everyone who wants to platform her, who wants to talk with her, what they want to talk about is the sin in her life prior to her coming to Christ, because that's the salacious conversation. That's the woman caught in adultery. Why do we even call her that? She's the woman God declared forgiven and sent into a life in which she would sin no more. But we tell the story and we continue to preserve the narrative because we want to talk about his redemptive power and we want to talk about the change that comes. But do you see how culturally we focus on the sin of the individual and we don't leave it in the past? Oh, absolutely. I I think, uh, Unfortunately, this is a, you know, it's, it's a spiritual disease that afflicts our entire country. In fact, the, the entire world, and even the Christian world, we, we, I think we're sometimes hardwired for this sort of thing. It's just kind of ingrained in our fallen nature. And I think probably the uh, adding to it, I'm convinced, not probably, I'm absolutely convinced this is the case. We just simply don't grasp the magnitude of God's grace for us in Jesus. Um, but we, we kind of pass over it. We treat it rather flippantly and in a kind of a surface superficial level. And yet the Bible goes to such great lengths to describe in a variety of different ways how serious and intense is God's um, response to our sin in terms of what he did for us through Christ. And, you know, it's, uh, it's sad because I was telling my wife the other day when I read the newspaper or turn on the local or national news, it's nothing but a police report. It's just like, mm. you know, listening to a, a band, a, you know, the radio with police and crime reports coming in one after another, and people are drawn to that. I want us to be drawn to the, to the beauty and the glory of God's mercy in Jesus. Because after all, I mean, you, everybody knows Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's because of the mercies of God that we are to present ourselves as living spiritual sacrifices for his, his glory and his honor. And we fail to reflect on what those mercies are. We just, we just kind of pass 
over them. One reason I think is because for some people, they're just too good to be true. People right. just can't, they can't bring themselves to believe that God is that gracious and that kind and that patient with us. And so they, they just kind of have to move past it without giving it deep thought and consideration. You help us give it deep thought and consideration, and you do so by taking us into the Word of God and revealing um, a dozen ways, and as you say, there's there probably could have been more, but a dozen things God does with your sin. We're talking with Sam Storms about his new book by that title. Um, there are also three things he'll never do. Um, we're going to talk about those as well. Sam, I feel like this book is about peace, and yet you acknowledge there's just a lot of people who profess Christ and are still kind of haunted by the knowledge of past sin. So talk with us about our conscience, because that's the conversation that you're trying to lift up here. And again, this circles back to that Hebrews 9.14 conversation. But why does my conscience continue to present sort of the damning evidence of my sin when I know that God has forgiven, forgotten, washed, covered, removed, and blotted it all out? Well... Let's be let's let's be clear about this. The conscience is a gift of God. I mean, it, it is God's way of, of providing. You know, it's just part of the image of God in every human being. It's that that capacity in the human soul by which I recognize when I have done wrong, when I have violated God's commands and His will. On the one hand, or it approves when I have, in fact, through God's grace, obeyed Him and done what is pleasing in His sight. So the conscience is is a gift of God. The problem is that most people, because they don't know that God has fully and finally dealt with their sin and that they are no longer under his wrath, they no longer have to face his eternal judgment. Their conscience lives in constant fear. They can't feel the reality of forgiveness. You you can tell them uh, these things. You can explain it to them, but they can't experience it in their own heart, in their own soul. Their affections are are dead. Uh, they've been they've been almost dulled by the, uh, by, as you say, by the haunting memory of their past failures. And it's only when we come to understand that God's grace, you know, as the old hymn said, is greater than all our sin, that we can enter into that reality of peace. Um, so again, the conscience can both work for us and against us, but it is just, God. God wants our conscience to feel clean. He wants us to enjoy being his children. He, you know, we, you know, the, the book of Romans in chapter eight talks about the spirit of God by, by which we cry out, Abba, Father, that we've no longer uh, been enslaved to fear, but now we are the adopted sons and daughters. How many Christians out there can face each day knowing that that is true, being energized by it, being sustained by it, being strengthened by it so that when the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil come along, they can find the power and the incentive to say no. Um, it's those whose consciences are defiled and dirty and they feel unforgiven. Uh, those are the ones who are most susceptible uh, to sin and temptation in our world. We're talking with Sam Storms about his new book, A Dozen Things God Does With Your Sin and Three Things He'll Never Do. You can visit with Sam online at his website, samstorms.org. 
Um, when we come back, we're gonna we're gonna talk about this this list. We're gonna actually cover some of the twelve things that God does with our sin, as revealed in Scripture, and the three things God will never do. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Faith Radio. If you are in Christ, then you know you are not dead in your sins, but you are alive in Christ. And yet that belief, that understanding that I have eternal union with God, that my relationship with God is reconciled and restored in Christ Jesus, is oftentimes not experienced in this life as real moment-by-moment, life-giving, life-affirming communion with Him. So if you are feeling that way, if you're wondering, I know I'm forgiven, but why am I not free? Why am I not living as a person joyfully reconciled to God with that inexpressible experience of joy that Peter describes? Let me commend to you Sam Storm's new book, A Dozen Things God Does With Your Sin and Three Things He'll Never Do. Sam, um, what um, we don't have time, nor would it be prudent, to dig into all 12 of the things that God does with our sin, according to the scriptures. But maybe you just want to read them even as a list. Sure. Um, And of course, the first thing is, of course, that he has laid our sin upon his son. That's the foundation for all of the other statements that we find in scripture. And what I do with this one, which is kind of, I think it's probably the longest chapter in the book. So I talk about the nature of the atonement, what actually happened on the cross what was going on between the Father and the Son in the power of the Spirit? And it, it leads me to address a very controversial subject uh, called penal substitutionary atonement, which basically means that the penalty of our sin, which is eternal death, that we should have endured, has been taken upon Christ. He has exhausted the wrath of God in himself. He has satisfied the demands of infinite justice so that we never ever have to live in fear of facing it ourselves. I mean, that that simple truth, if people could just grasp that, that the closest they will ever come to experiencing the wrath of God is reading about it in Scripture. That's the closest they'll ever come to it. So that's the first and most foundational truth. It's because of the fact that God has laid upon him the guilt that was ours, and he just took the judgment that we deserve that all of these other things are true. So for example, I mean, all of us know about forgiveness. Uh, He has forgiven our sin. Um, He has cleansed us of our sin. You know, David talks about this in Psalm 51, about being purified from sin. Um, The Bible says he has covered our sin. You know, we tend to uh, fear exposure. And so we hide and and we uh, pretend and we put on a false face in, in presence of people. But God has covered our sin. He is, he's, obscure, he's hidden it from, from view so that it will never be able to come back and be used against us. Um, I love the one he has cast all our sin behind his back. I mean, you think mm-hmm. about, again, the imagery. When we don't want somebody to see something, what do we do? Well, we hold it in our hands behind our back. We keep it from being viewed and noticed. Well, God does that with all our sin. Um, of course, in Psalm 103, that great image, he has removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. 
And I try to explore in this chapter, you know, try to envision in your mind, you have a single starting point and your sin moves east at breakneck speed and you move west at breakneck speed and never the two shall meet. Never, ever. God has, 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 has taken unimaginably glorious steps to try to emphasize to us, look, my child, the, the sin that you have committed, the judgment that that sin deserved will never be visited upon you. Um, he has passed over our sin. He, you know, it talks about him trampling our sin underfoot. The whole idea of just beneath his feet, crushing it into oblivion, uh, casting our sin into the sea. Uh, again, that's a very vivid image. The idea that, that the Lord has put it as far away removed from us as is possible, and uh, it will never be retrieved. He's blotted out our sin. I love the, the imagery I use in the book, uh, and I think most everybody will identify with this, is, you know, that little, uh, that little game called Etch-A-Sketch. I don't know the, if it's a modern version of it today, but when I was a kid, you know, you could take these two little knobs in this TV screen, and you could sketch or try to draw something. Of course, I have no artistic talent, so whatever I drew was ugly, and I, I didn't want anybody to see it. So then you just tip the screen, and it disappears. Well, there's a sense in which God has done that because he laid our the ugliness of our uh, sin, the, the distorted portrayal of our sin on Jesus. And he tips, as it were, the screen of our soul, and all memory, every last vestige of our sin has disappeared. He's turned away his face from our sin. He won't look upon it. He won't draw attention to it. And then, of course, one that some Christians fail to understand, where the Bible says that he has forgotten our sin and refuses to remember it. And, of course, I delve into this question, if God is all-knowing and omniscient, which he is, what, what does it mean to say that he has forgotten our sin? So these are just among the many things that God has done. And I, I, the whole point of the book is I want people to, to, to think about it. I use illustrations throughout to try to drive home the force of what Scripture is saying. So it, the book, you know, people have asked me, is the book deeply theological or deeply practical? Yes. <laughs> and you say yes. <laughs> yes. yes. But it, is, it really is designed for that person who's struggling with the lingering memory, that haunting sense. It's kind of a cloud that overhangs their soul of all the ways they have failed God. And the fear, I'm probably going to do it again tomorrow. And if, if we would just come to grips with what the Bible says God has done with our sin, rather than what we have done by sinning, the experience that we would have in Christ would, would greatly amplify. And the reality, the capacity to feel his affection, I think, would deepen in our hearts. So, Sam, I want to highlight um, a couple of things, because there are definitely um, people listening who are thinking to themselves right now, that is not what... What Sam's telling us is not possible. It's not possible that I have um, already experienced, because I've read about God's wrath, that that's as much of God's wrath as I'm ever going to experience. Because I hear week in and week out that, um, uh, you know, right, I'm, I'm a sinful person, and sin is real, and I sin all the time, and I have proclivity to sin. And I, so um, help us with that. And, and you are absolutely highlighting 
the relational reality of who God is and who I am in relationship to him as a person redeemed in Christ Jesus, that is what people are missing. And I don't want them to miss that in our conversation. This is not just about a transaction that takes place on the cross and then a transaction that takes place between me and God as I accept that grace. This is about a relationship. Absolutely. And I I think one of the things that we have to keep in mind is not only does our conscience tend to sting us and, and remind us of the ways that we have failed, but we have a very real spiritual enemy, the devil. And Paul talks about in Ephesians 6 that these fiery missiles of, of, the, of the enemy of our souls continually rain down upon us. And when we think about the ways we have failed, Satan comes right in on the tail end of that and says, yeah, that's right. Which, which means obviously God could never love you. You're a hypocrite. Um, none of this is true. Come on, deal. be honest with yourself. Uh, you're a miserable wretch and you're de- you deserve eternal death. And the way we fight that in order to enter into the fullness of peace and joy and deep satisfaction in Christ is we say, you know, Satan, you're exactly right. I am a sinner and I have failed, but guess what? For everything that I have ever done, God has more than abundantly overcome that by laying the judgment I deserve on his son in my place. And until Christians can preach that gospel to their own soul, they have to kind of take themselves um, in hand and, and turn around and preach to their own souls about the reality of what God has done. And this is the only way we're ever going to experience this joy on a daily basis. Um, one of the things that I talk about in the book is this distinction between our eternal union with God mm-hmm. and our experiential communion. And sometimes we fail to realize that distinction. And the distinction is this, our eternal union is what is always true. It is unbreakable. We are inseparable from the love of God in Christ. It is unchanging. Nothing that happens in my daily life can undermine or reverse that covenant bond that I, that exists between God and his children. But my experiential communion, in other words, my daily capacity to enjoy that truth fluctuates and changes based on the degree of my obedience or disobedience. Mm-hmm. And what we need to do in order to enter more deeply into that experiential communion is to reflect on the reason why God has established this eternal union. And he did it because all of our sin has been laid on his son and he has forever removed it from us. Amen. 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 And amen. Sam, thank you so much for the gift of the time today. Thank you for the gift of the book. We, we, we do at some point want to talk with you about, you know, asking your wife to marry you on your very first date and why you gave up golf and all kinds of things. But today we're going to leave it at this. Oh, and you can get an Etch-A-Sketch. I actually think you should buy five. Four for your grandkids, one for yourself, and you can just, you can do that. I mean, like, you can get them at Target. Like, it's not hard to find an Etch-A-Sketch. So somebody who's listening right now and knows Sam personally, get the man an Etch-A-Sketch. Like, he needs one. Okay. Um, Thank you so much for being here today. Mornings with Carmen has been fun today. If you want to hear it again or share it with someone else, we'd be delighted for you to be a missionary of this program in that way. You just go and grab the audio at MyFaithRadio.com, or you can share it right there if you're listening on the Faith Radio app. 
I want you to be in the Word of God today. It's the 23rd of February, so you know where I am. I'm in Acts 23 as we're reading through the Bible together. Don't miss a beat. It's a great chapter. Paul's got, Paul gives like a seminar on communication in this chapter. All right, that's all we got time for. Have a grace day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.